Well, good morning. It's good to be back with everyone. We've uh, been out for a little while. We had a little exposure to the coronavirus and um, as a safety measure to, uh, with me being the preacher and everybody shaking hands and hugging necks, we just felt it was best to, um, to stay away for a little while. And then um, uh, Chastity and Austin uh, had a stomach virus here in the last couple of days, so um, I didn't come and get around anybody today. I don't think it's anything corona related, but... Um, I'm, I'm not going to be shaking hands and hugging necks or anything like that. Again, just out of an abundance of caution, um, I just don't, I, I couldn't live with myself if I honestly thought I made one of you sick. And, um, and so, um, <laughs> yeah, I know. So, um, so I, I am, I do pray that you know that I'm not being rude. Um, I'm just um, trying my best to, um, to, to keep everybody safe. And so, um, but I did want to come and um, get back to preaching today. I can't stay away very long. Y'all know that. But I'm very thankful for uh, Brother Nick for um, just, um, I mean, I can call him at the last minute. and He's always ready and he's always excited to preach. And um, I can honestly say to you, there is no one else in this world that I would rather partner and work with than that brother right there. And um, I'm so thankful to, to have him on our team here at Wells Baptist Church. But if you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, I'd like for you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. That's where Nick was last week, and I'm going to continue that this week. I'm going to kind of piggyback on him, if, um, if he don't mind. But um, he, uh, he had a very wonderful message last week. I was able to listen to it uh, on YouTube, and um, I was thankful for uh, the message that God gave him. <clears throat> We're going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And as is our custom, if you have the means and you're able, we would ask you to stand for the reading of the living and powerful Word of God just as a way that we give reverence to the fact that this is not just any book that we're reading. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. When you get there, say amen. amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. You got a few. All right, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord when? And again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about what? But in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, before we go any further, we just want to thank you for your word. Lord, we want to thank you that... Um, this is you speaking to us. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to open our ears and open our hearts to understand this is not a man's message. Lord, this is just your word. And Father, I pray that, Lord, we would receive it as such. Father, I pray that everything that's been said and done and sung in this service this morning has been pleasing to you. Father, I pray that Lord, the songs that we sing, the lyrics that we sing, that they would 
become ever truthful in our lives. Father, we do want to trust you more. Lord, we want you to be the only thing that we do trust in this world. And Lord, we're still learning. And so, Father, I pray that you help these songs that we sing to, to become more truthful every time that we sing them. Father, I, I pray this morning that no one leaves here unchanged. Father, I know that it is impossible to have an encounter with you, a true encounter with you, and not be changed. And so, Father, I pray this morning that as we hear from you, from your word, Lord, that you would change our hearts. Lord, that you would mold us into your image and that we would be less like ourselves and more like the image of your Son. Father, forgive us where we fail you. Forgive us that we're still sinners, God. Forgive us that we still fall so short of your glory every day. But Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. And I know that it only comes through Christ. Father, we thank you for him and his sacrifice. And Lord, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I told you before, uh, Brother Nick preached to you last week. If you were here, you know that. But he talked to you from the subject of the secret of contentment. Literally, to be content in all circumstances. No, the problem with many of us in this world is that circumstances change our joy, our peace, our comfort. Circumstances, if they're good, then we're good. If they're bad, then we're bad. And again, this is not something that is unnatural. It's very natural. It's something that 100% of us deal with. But the thing that Paul is trying to teach us, and more specifically than Paul, God is trying to teach us. The thing that he's trying to teach us is that we can and we should learn to be content in all circumstances. No matter what changes in this world, I don't care whether they be good or whether they be bad, our contentment should stay the same. There should be a tranquility about us, a, a, a wholeness about us that does not change no matter what circumstances take place in this world. Paul said that he had learned. Now, one of the main points that Nick brought out last week that was very important is that this came by personal experience, right? The truth of the matter is we will not learn to be content in all things unless we have some experience in, in this life that teaches us how to rely on the Lord and trust in Him and to rely on His strength and to know that He is good no matter what. But we have to learn this. It's not something, again, that, that comes natural for us to do. I want you to notice in all of Philippians chapter 4, one of the things that I do whenever I study a chapter or a passage of Scripture, a lot of times I'll look through there and see is there a common theme that this author is trying to get across to me? Is there a, um, a common message that he wants and everything sort of centers around this message? Well, I think we can say that there is a common message in this. Look with me, if you would, at verse 6 of chapter 4. Notice what he says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there we see that the theme would be to, to try as much as possible to live an anxiety-free life. Don't let anything in this world make you anxious, right? 
And again, I know we're looking at that going, yeah, right. I mean, I understand that. Don't think I'm up here some holier-than-thou preacher trying to be naive and thinking that I have this figured out. But I want you to understand that this is the theme that Paul is covering here. Don't be anxious. Well, let's see what else. Verse 7, look what he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard you, your hearts and your minds, in Christ Jesus. And so what we see right there is that, again, his theme would be that there is a peace of God that will guard you in Christ Jesus. Alright, go to verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So he says here, meditate on godly things. In other words, Focus your mind not on all the circumstances that are going on, but on the things that bring comfort, that bring contentment. Focus on the things that are godly, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. So again, the theme would be a contentment, a wholeness, a tranquility of mind. Look with me if you would at verses 11 and 13. 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I know how to be in plenty. I know how to be in need. So the point being, I'm content. So here again, we see this wholeness, this tranquility. Look with me at um, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours. So again, no matter what you look at, if I were to say, what, if I were to ask you the question, what is the theme of Philippians chapter 4, you would be able to honestly look at that and say back to me, the theme is a contentment in life, a anxiety-free life, a, a wholeness in your, in your inner being so that no matter what happens in this life, it does not rob you of any joy And it does not rob you of any peace in this world. Now the problem with that is that there has been and will continue to be a lot of unrest in this world, right? There are a lot of things that happen in this world that tend to bring us um, uh, anxiety. That tend to make us not have tranquility within ourselves. We've seen um, identity politics here recently. We have seen the... um, the racial divides that take place, right? A lot of unrest there. We have seen the uh, coronavirus divisions, um, uh, everything keeping us separated from each other. Uh, Let's don't shake hands. Let's don't hug. You can't tell if I'm smiling anymore. If you're smiling, we... uh, I mean, we've seen... and, And let's not even look at all that for just a minute. The sicknesses, the deaths... I mean, there are, there are all kind of things that we're all divided on, right? Um, is it really coronavirus death or was it? I mean, there's so many divisions in this world right now, and not the least of which we look at the presidential election. Have you ever seen anything more divided right down the middle than what we've experienced this last week? 
I mean, right down the middle, there's just a complete divide and so much unrest in this world. Uh, forest fires in, in California, is it global warming? Is it not global warming? Split right down the middle. I mean, just, just unrest, no matter which way you look. And yet, the Bible here, or more specifically, God tells us, don't be anxious about what? Anything. Nothing. There should be a wholeness and a tranquility about, you, tranquility about you that no matter if everything else in this world is falling apart, whether it's riots and looting or no matter what else is going on, there is a wholeness about you and you are held together. Whether Trump gets elected or whether Biden gets elected, there is a wholeness about you that it does not rob you of any joy or any peace. And that's a tough thing right now. Now listen, y'all listen to me because I understand this is a tough, tough subject. I just want to ask you this question. Do you want to know what God has to say about it? If you do, then don't cut me off because of your emotions. Don't cut me off because of your opinions. I got my opinions too. You think there's anybody in here that don't have an opinion on this matter? Yes, we all have opinions. But do we want to know what God's truth is? Not opinion. God don't have opinions. Y'all know that, right? And so to, this morning we're going to look and see what God's truth is about how we should feel and how we should respond to the, all the unrest that goes on in this world and even most specifically the election that we're dealing with right now. Now again, I understand. I understand the division. I understand the, the democratic views of socialist ideas and their views on abortion and the policies that they support and don't support. I, I understand that the platform that Biden stands on, I understand that, yes, for us it looks like, man, this should cause unrest. But I'm going to say to you the Word of God is going to tell us this morning, no, it's not. I'm going to tell you this morning that for, for some of us, even if Trump gets this thing, it's still going to be unrest. I'll just tell you my opinion this morning. I did vote for the man. For those of you that don't, you ain't got to get rid of me as your pastor. All right. I did. I voted for the man. But can I be honest with you? I don't like him. I don't like him as president. I think his leadership, as far as his Christian leadership, is not a good thing for the United States. I believe I've seen Christians go down a bad road of this is what a Christian looks like because of his leadership. So I can see bad on both sides of this thing. Now you can agree with me or disagree with me. I don't care. That's my opinion. Okay? Alright? But the fact of the matter is, even though I voted for one way, I slept just fine election night because I trusted the good Lord. And, I, and we're going to look at some of that here in just a minute. I'm not going get, to get ahead of myself. So here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to look at what God has to say about not being anxious. But first I want to give you just a few biblical truths to at least consider that can help you to respond, to learn, to not be anxious. Now again, remember I said this is something you learn, right? I'm not saying that I've always been able to do this and that I can do it in every circumstance. No, there are other things that will make me anxious that you'll sleep just fine at night about. And so again, I'm still learning, and you're still learning. 
But I want to give you some biblical truths and see if you would agree with these that if we believe these truths and we trust in these truths, they give us every reason to not be anxious, especially concerning this election. Here's the first truth. i got four of them. The first truth is this. God always has a bigger picture. Now, stay with me. Again, you've got to follow with me because, again, I understand the unrest. I understand the, the, uh, the concern here. But God always has a bigger picture. Let me give you just a few examples. You remember Joseph? Remember the 12 tribes of Israel? Joseph, the favorite child, the one that got the, the coat of many colors, the one that daddy loved the most. Y'all remember him? You remember what his brothers did to him? They sold him into slavery, didn't they? Because they had jealousy toward him. They hated him. And you remember what happened then? He was sold into Egypt. He ended up in a prison. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You can go back to Genesis 40s, I believe it is, and read it. But um, you can go back through there and you can see that he ended up in Egypt. He ended up in prison over there. But he became the, the, the king in prison, basically. Then he was accused of something that he didn't do and he ended up at the bottom again. And then because of his uh, relationship with God and his ability to be able to interpret dreams and visions... He ended up at the top again. And next thing we know, Joseph is the king of Egypt. Long story short. So here Joseph is the king of Egypt. And his brothers come to Egypt because there's a famine that takes place. And you remember when his brothers get there, that what Joseph said to them? When they finally figured out who Joseph was and they were afraid of Joseph, Joseph said this very famous phrase to them. What you did, you meant it for evil. But God meant it. Go back. I'm quoting here. God meant it for good. So that by this a nation would be saved. In other words, the way that God allowed these things to take place, bad things, evil things, the way that He allowed the evil heart of man to manifest itself, in all of it, God always had a bigger picture view. God knew what He was doing. And in the process of this thing, He was saving a nation. Now, did Joseph know that while it was going on? Did the brothers know this while it was going on? No. But God saw, you know, the Bible says this. The Bible says that God knows the the end of a thing from its beginning. That literally, before anything ever takes place, He knows the end of it from its beginning. There is no detail of it that He is not familiar with. He knows. He always sees the bigger picture. Let me give you a few other examples. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it's a prophecy about the Christ. And it tells us that out of Bethlehem, uh, the, the King of Ages, the Ancient One, the, uh, the, the Christ Messiah Child will be born and he will come out of Bethlehem. But do you know what God set up in order for that to take place? You know where Jerry and... uh, Where Jerry? Tom and Jerry, I guess. Do you know where Joseph and Mary... I put them... That's what I did. I put them together. Do you know where Joseph and Mary were before the Christ child was born? It was not Bethlehem. They were in Galilee. Do you know how they landed in Bethlehem? Caesar Augustus issued a decree 
that everyone should return to their hometown to be counted, to be registered. And guess what Joseph and Mary had to do? They had to go to Bethlehem. Here they are in Bethlehem to fulfill a prophecy that God spoke years ago. But in order for that to take place, a Caesar Augustus was in leadership. Another thing that we see in that, you remember King Herod? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, we see that God had Herod as the king of the Jews, even though he was evil, even though he was also going to... You remember what his most famous that we know of sin was? Had all the male children killed, right? Babies were killed. But God had him in place. And then... If you were to go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, and I would encourage you to go read it for yourself, but basically it tells us that when Herod died, his son reigned in his place, and Herod was trying to kill him. This is what led the family to hide away in Nazareth. And Matthew chapter 2, verse 23 actually says this, This happened so that the prophecy would be fulfilled, that he would be raised in Nazareth, and they would call him a Nazarene. So there again, what you see is that God saw a bigger picture. And in this bigger picture, He saw that He would use a Caesar Augustus. He saw that He would use a Herod. Now again, we all got questions. We say, well, you mean God would, would rather have all these male children killed? Then why couldn't He have put another leader in place that would have just got them? Why didn't God choose another path? Because God has a bigger picture view. And for whatever reason, God saw fit that that was who he was going to have in place in order for this bigger picture to be fulfilled. I need you to understand something. Yes, we love living in the United States of America. I do. I love the freedoms that we have enjoyed. But do you not know that Jesus told us very plainly that the world hated him? And if it hated him, what's it going to do for us? Is the servant greater than the master? No. Listen, I'm like you. I want to fight and hold on to all the freedoms that I can. And my message this morning is not to tell you to not stand for biblical truth. My message this morning is not to just sit back and say, well, it's just God's plan that babies are going to die. That's not what I'm saying to you. Y'all following me? I'm telling you to stand for God's way. But I'm telling you that even when we stand with everything we have and God still says, this is what I'm going to do, it don't make us anxious. We don't lose our joy. We don't lose our peace. We don't lose our comfort. We look back and we say, God, I understand that sometimes you choose for evil to run its course in order for your bigger picture to come to pass. And I'm okay with that because I trust you. Another thing you need to... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Here's another thing you need to remember. God always used evil leaders when He wanted to judge or refine His people. Always. I can take you back and show you that. If you wanted to go back to Judges chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, this is what you will hear. The people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and therefore God handed them over into the hand of King of... And then you go through Judges, and it's this king and this king and this king, and it was always evil kings. So anytime God wanted to judge His people, or not judge, I'm sorry, anytime God wanted to judge a nation or refine His people. 
Let me say that because there is no judgment on God's people. But God does use the suffering of this world to refine us, to cause us to trust more in Him. We'll see that here in just a minute as well. But you can see that in Judges chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, Judges 3, verse 3 through 8, Judges 3, verse 12 through 14, Judges 4, verse 1 through 2, Judges 6, verse 1 through 2. The point being is that you're going to see it throughout. It's something that God um, repeatedly does throughout history. Another thing in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 8 and 9, I'll read this one to you. Listen to what it says. Speaking to Israel, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. That's important. Go back and read that for yourself. God called this evil king his servant. Some of y'all may not understand this, and I'm not saying that Biden is going to be good or bad. Now again, the platform that he stands on, it seems to me that yes, he's going to lead in an ungodly way. It seems to me. But the fact of the matter is that is still yet to be seen if it takes place, right? We don't know. Prayer changes a lot of things. God changes a lot of hearts. We didn't, Nebuchadnezzar is one of them. Do you remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar at the end of his reign? After all this evil he had done, the servant of God is humbled when God strikes him with insanity. He, he is departed from men. He is, he is driven away from, from being among men. And then in this whole process, he's eating grass like an ox in the field. And then in... Uh, I don't remember if this, it wasn't Jeremiah 25, it was Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, I believe it is. The last verse in chapter 4, if you want to read it for yourself. Daniel chapter 4, the very last verse. At the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar comes back to his mind and he says, God is the God of them all and He should be honored and He should be exalted. And I'm paraphrasing here, but the point of it all is this is in all this process, God was bringing Nebuchadnezzar to know him as Lord and Savior. You don't know what God's going to do in a President Trump's life. You don't know what God's going to do in a President Biden's life. But one thing you can rest assured of is that God always has a bigger picture view and God always uses any evil leaders to judge a nation or to refine His people. Either way, God is still working in the midst of it all. Next thing, the next truth you need to know. God uses people that we don't think He would use. Case in point, Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody would have looked at Nebuchadnezzar and said, Yep, that's going to be God's servant. But God said in many passages, not just, um, not just in Jeremiah 25, but in many passages, God called Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Most every time Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned in the Word of God, He calls him my servant. And so you need to understand that God uses people that you ne- may not necessarily think that He would use. Let me ask you a question. Whenever all of David's brothers and even Samuel himself looked at David, do you think any of them looked at David and said, Oh, he's the servant of God? Is that the way it went down? No. You remember, as each one of them stood in front of him, they said, He's a little ruddy squirt. 
what in the world is God going to do with somebody like him? And instead, Samuel looked at all the other brothers and said, Oh, that's the one right there. I mean, look at that guy. He's got it all together. He's got, he, he's got the physique and he's got the mind and he's got the, the war mentality and this guy can lead Israel. And you remember what God said to Samuel? Mm-mm. Don't look at him because of the way you look at him on the outside. I don't look at people the way you look at people. In other words, God sees things about you that even you can't see. And so we need to understand. Now, I'm not telling you this morning that God is going to put a Biden in office or a Trump in office. Again, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you that God is going to all of a sudden convert them and make them the most godly Christian you've ever seen in this life. I'm not saying that. Because I don't know. I'm also not saying that He won't. Because He can. And so one of the things that we have to understand is of all things in this world... This should not make us anxious. We should not get anxious about this because God knows what He's doing and He has a bigger picture view. Now, does that mean that it's not going to lead His people into suffering? No. The truth of the matter is it might. Hey, I've enjoyed living in this United States of America as a Christian. I have. Because it's been very nice. I'm thankful for those veterans that fought for these freedoms that we have. And I don't want to see their sacrifice go wasted as far as it would seem to me. Again, what God knows what He's doing. I'm not saying it's wasted. But here's the thing you need to understand. I believe we have seen a pivot point in the United States that up until now, being a Christian has pretty well been cool. Being a Christian has been the popular thing to do in the United States. Can I tell you that I believe we are on a pivot point right now that if you're going to be a Christian in the United States, it ain't going to be cool anymore. Or, let me say it like this, to be a Bible-believing, truth-standing Christian is not going to be cool anymore. You are going to be labeled a radical Christian. You are going to be labeled... You are probably seeing a pivot point to where we're going to start really experiencing some real persecution as Christians in this nation. I'm sorry to say that. But the point that I am making in all this is that God knows what He's doing. And if He chooses for, to allow the United States to go down this path, it will be for your good and for His glory. And it will also test your faith. And some faith will prove to be genuine and some will prove not to be. The Bible says God likes to do a little shaking from time to time. Y'all know what I'm talking about? He likes to shake things up. And when He shakes things up, some things remain and some things fall away. And in situations like this, we get to see the genuine faith and the not-so-genuine faith. And so it is my prayer that you would understand that God uses people that we don't think that he could use. And let me also remind you of this. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, There is no authority except from God. None. You remember when Jesus was standing in front of Pilate and Pilate said, Hey, they're crying to crucify you. And Jesus said, Yeah. <laughs> he said, um, Don't you know that I have the power to either release you or to have you crucified? And you remember what Jesus said to him? You have 
no power except what has been given to you from above. There's another example of a person that was put in the place of power because God had a bigger picture. And for us to allow this situation to make us anxious and lose tranquility. And again, I'm not putting you down. Don't think that. I'm trying to help you learn. But for us to allow that to happen is us saying, God, I don't really trust you. Maybe it's even saying, God, I didn't win. I hate to say that. But there's a part of people that's like, man, I, I wanted to win and now i got to sit back and listen to all these uh, Biden folks Y'all know what I'm talking about? You don't? Oh, Nick don't know. I mean, I get it. Again, I'm not up here preaching to you as some naive pastor that, don't, that hasn't at least had the same thoughts of these same things I'm talking to you about. The point being is that I come back to these truths and I remind myself, God, you know what you're doing. This is your world. This is your world. This United States of America is your America. And yes, we're going to fight to try to make it be an America that honors you. But at the end of the day, if the majority decides that it's not going to be an America that honors you, God, you know what you're doing. And you put Nebuchadnezzar's and you put Caesar Augustus's and you put Herod's and you put Pilate's and, and you put every authority because there is no authority except the authority that comes from you. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, I believe it is. It's somewhere around in there. Paraphrasing here. But it says, The, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. It's like a river. He turns it whichever way he wills. Now you think about that for just a minute. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And it's like a river. He turns it whichever way He wants it to go. Sometimes He turns it to go toward Him. Sometimes He allows it to go in its own path in rebellion against Him and follow its own heart, and again, in order to accomplish a bigger purpose. And so we have to be able to trust God in this thing right here. The next thing, <clears throat> this is the last thing I'm going to bring up as far as this goes. The USA is not your home. I know I've said that before. But guys, we've got to get this figured out. We, we've got to understand this. The USA is not your home. Again, when I say these things, I, I, I can't stress this enough. I'm not telling you to not be a light in this world. Be a light. You ought to be living out the difference between someone who Christ is their king and someone who is still under the ruler of this dark world. So yes, you ought to be the one standing in line to, to, to be against abortion. And you ought to be the one that's standing in line to be, uh, to be pro-family and God-family. So please don't hear this message saying I'm telling you to just sit back and say I'm good with whatever takes place in this world. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm preaching for you how to fight in this world to honor God and yet live in absolute peace and tranquility no matter 
what happens, no matter what comes to pass. And so it's important you understand that this USA is not your home. The Bible often refers to us as sojourners, as pilgrims, as exiles. While we are here, we are not to to try to establish the kingdom of God in this place. Now we're building the kingdom of God by making disciples of Christ, but our mission is not to make the United States heaven. That's not our mission. The truth of the matter is we are lights in the midst of a what? A dark world. That's right. You are never, if your mission is to make the United States heaven, I'm sorry, you will always be without peace. You will always be without contentment. You will always be anxious. Because the United States of America will never be heaven. Even in its heyday. Can I tell you that it was not heaven then? Can I tell you that as great as our founding fathers were, they were sinners. They were sinners. And even the decisions they made were not perfect. As good as they were and as good as we've had it, again, that was just from the leadership of God at that moment as well. Listen to this. We can make laws that honor God, and we should try to do so. But only the gospel can change hearts. If you're taking notes this morning, write that down. If you've got a phone, put that down somewhere. We can make laws that honor God, and we should try to do so. But only the gospel can change hearts. Now, out of that statement, here's the question that I ask. Are we more concerned about laws restraining people or the gospel changing people? Listen to that because I don't know if you caught it. Are you more concerned about laws restraining people or are you more concerned about the gospel changing people? Let me tell you something. You can put a law in place. We can overturn Roe versus Wade. We can make abortion 100% illegal. And as far as I'm concerned, that would be great because we're protecting those lives that can't, that can't stand for themselves. However, there are still evil hearts out there that will find a way to kill their babies. Are you more concerned about making laws that just restrain people? Or do you not see that the better path is to preach the gospel because that actually changes people? If the gospel is preached and a heart is turned toward the Lord, that mother is not going to have an abortion because she's following Christ. You know, when we go into the mission field, when we go over to Guatemala, one of the things that we have learned, a lot of missions, they, they, they take this mentality of we've got to go over there and we've got to just turn this community around. We've got to make sure that they get nice houses built or nice schools built or nice. Uh, they, they, they need to make sure they have a meal on, on, for every for breakfast, dinner, and supper, and and we we need to just completely change this environment. We need to teach them about how to be a good husband, how to be good wives. But you know what we've learned? If you go in there with the gospel and you really focus on changing hearts through the gospel, husbands will become good husbands. 
Wives will become good wives. Fathers will become providers for their children. You see a change. And then, now I'm not saying we don't come along beside of them and still help with things like food and schools and and those kind of things, because you do. But the point being is this. Our main concern is not just that the community has an outward appearance change. Our main concern is that hearts are changed. Because when hearts are changed, everything else changes. We change the world from the inside out. You want to change America? It's not going to be. Listen, Trump is not your savior. And Biden is not your demise. Let me, let, me, let me vice versa that. Biden is not your savior. And Trump is not your demise. The fact of the matter is the gospel is our savior. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our Savior. And if you want to see things change, preach the gospel. Be a light in the midst of this dark world. And if you'll do that, I promise you, you'll start seeing change starting with you and around you. Little by little, you change. You ever watch what happens when a family, when a, when a, um, when a father comes to the Lord? Or let's just say not even a father. Let's say a child. Let's say a child starts coming to church and they get saved. What usually happens? Little by little, all those around them, all of a sudden the, the mom and the dad start coming. And all of a sudden you got the, uh, I'll just use Chris and Tara for an example. They got saved, started coming in here to church. Next thing you know, here comes her, her uh, mom, here comes her stepfather. Here, I mean, next thing you know, the whole family. You want to start seeing real change? Let the gospel change your heart first. And then you be a light in the midst of this world and share the gospel. And watch how the people around you can start to be changed as well. The USA is not your home. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And listen, our mission is this. Remember this. We lovingly live the difference between those whose king is Christ and those who still live under the rule of darkness. We lovingly live the difference between those whose king is Christ and those who are still under the rule of darkness. That's our mission. Our mission is not that we try to make the United States have the same mentality that we have. We have this mentality of, why can't you idiots see this, 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 right? And that's true on both sides. The other side's looking back going, why can't you idiots see, right? But our mission is not to try to make the United States see things the way that we see them. Our mission is to lovingly live out the difference between those who are ruled by Christ and those who are ruled by the darkness of this world. We are lights in the midst of darkness. So, go back to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Philippians chapter 4. So what does God tell us to do? Those are just some truths that you need to know in order to um, have this anxiety. Not have this anxiety, I'm sorry. What are 
the things that God would tell us to do. And I'll go through these very quickly, I promise. I'm not, I've already preached the sermon to you. I could preach another one. I'm not going to. <coughs> Excuse me. I'll go through these very quickly. But what does God tell us to do instead of being anxious? Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Remember, we said the theme was, this is about not being anxious, right? Alright, so here's the first thing. Verse 4. Who wants to guess what it is? Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Always. Here's the first thing you do instead of being anxious. Rejoice in the Lord always. How can I do that? Remember this. Not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from His will. Y'all know that? Now if a sparrow don't fall from the sky apart from His will, do you think a president gets elected apart from His will? Not at all. No. And so rejoice in the Lord always. He knows what He's doing. You stand for what is right. You stand on biblical truth. But at the end of the day, when it goes another direction, you keep proclaiming His excellencies and you keep standing with Him, but you trust Him. You trust Him that He is good. Thank you. You trust Him that He knows what He's doing. Number two, verse five. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That, other, that word reasonableness could also be translated as gentleness. It could also be translated as uh, meekness. But as I've told you before, meekness does not mean weakness. So what's he saying right here? Here's one of the first things he's saying to you. <clears throat> we don't fight against flesh and blood. Church, the Democrats are not your enemies. Church, the Republicans are not your enemies. They're not. Yes, they in some of their ways can be anti-God and are anti-God, absolutely. But we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities, against rulers, powers, the, the, the rulers that are, that, that are in the heavenly places. We have to understand that there is a stronger force at work here and you are not going to win it by fighting flesh and blood. You will win it by fighting spiritual forces and hosts of wickedness. And you can only do that through the next thing here. Notice what he says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by what? Prayer. Prayer and supplication. Here's what you see next. Pray and ask for the desires of your heart. It's very simple. Talk to God. Tell Him about the anxieties that are on your heart. Tell Him about You think that He don't know? Tell Him about the concerns that you have for this election and this going on. Talk to Him about it. And then it says prayer and supplication. That literally means making your request known to God. That's what it means. And so pray, talk to God about this. Instead of allowing anxiety to rule you and to control you, instead rejoice in the Lord. He knows what He's doing. Let your reasonableness, your meekness be known to all men. We're not throwing darts at each other. No, instead we're just lights in the midst of darkness. I've got a, um, 
I've got a friend of mine that is a, um, he actually used to be a preacher. And he is a um, homosexual now that is married to another man. And he has went a full 180. I'm talking about turn, buddy. Used to be pro-God, now is just anti-God. Hates him. Hates everything about the Christian faith. <clears throat> and I shared a, um, a post the other night on Facebook. I don't do that very often, but I shared a post and, it, and I think it says something like how I'm going to sleep tonight knowing that God is in control or something like that. And it was just a guy doing <sighs> like that. Well, <clears throat> he took it and you know, Facebook lets you know when somebody shares your post. He took it and he shared it. But as he shared it, he made a comment on it that said... Um, does this, he said, I hate it when Christians say this, but does that mean that when, when uh, God didn't overturn Roe versus Wade that he was in full control? And does that mean that when, uh, so in other words, he wanted to know when bad things happen in this world. So you're saying that God's still in full control? Yeah, absolutely I am. But when he shared it, the way he put it, it made me mad. <laughs> I've been this close to unfriending him and just blocking it for so long. But I take an opportunity every now and then to send him a message just to share some scripture with him, let him know. And, and I always let him know that, listen, you're not my enemy. Yes, I stand for the Word of God. I stand for God's ways. I stand, I'm pro-family. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, pro-life. I'm all these things because I believe this is God's way. But I'm not mad at you. And I'll spell it out for him. Romans chapter 1 says you're just following the desires of your own heart. But your heart is anti-God. Your heart is in rebellion to God. But this particular night, it made me mad. <clears throat> and I was this close to, to throwing something. Normally I private message him because I don't put that stuff out there. But I was this close to just throwing it out there. And y'all have seen them memes where the Holy Spirit puts, his, puts a hand over your mouth, right? Well, that happened. But it just so happened one of my other pastor friends that used to be his pastor, I believe, chimed in and just graciously began speaking to him and graciously began explaining to him about the sovereignty of God and that yes, it does mean that God allows bad things to happen in this world and so on and so on. And I remembered that this guy is not my enemy. And it is my job to let my reasonableness be known to everyone. My job is to be a light and lovingly live the difference in the one who is ruled by Christ and the one that is ruled by the darkness of this world. And we have to let our meekness. Now again, meekness don't mean weakness. I'm not telling you that we're just tolerable of everything and we say, yeah, just follow your heart and do whatever you want to do. No. I'm saying that I pour my heart out to you about what the Word of God has to say about these matters. And I'm a light in the midst of this darkness. Meekness is not weakness. It's just a gentleness in the way that you deal with people. Pray and ask God for your desires. Talk to God. Here's the last one I'm done. Be thankful. In all things, give thanks. In all things, give thanks. This <clears throat> is a great year of unrest. You see people all the time saying, I'd be so glad when 2020 is over. What else could happen from murder hornets to killer, um, what was it, uh, some kind of sharknadoes or something like that? But I mean, so many things have happened in, in 2020. But we have to understand that we are to be thankful in all things. 
And so we rejoice in the Lord. We are meek and we are gentle with everyone. We are not anxious about anything, but we talk to God and give Him our desires. And then we are thankful no matter what happens in this life. And how do we do that? Because we know that God is always working. God is always working. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so we are thankful that no matter what God does, God, you're either disciplining me or you're refining me or you're judging evil or you're, you're working, you're doing something. And at the end of it all, you alone will get the glory. You alone. And I'm thankful for anything I see take place in this world because I know that you're God and you're always working. <clears throat> In closing, God is telling us today that He knows what He's doing. Now again, I don't expect you to just walk out of here and just be okay with everything, but I'm hoping you can at least learn. Learn that God is telling us from His Word today that He knows what He's doing. He is still in absolute control even if Abortion becomes legal, God forbid. But even if it did, God knows what He's doing. And God is working in the midst of it all. So rejoice, guys. Church, listen, here's your response this week and for the coming weeks, no matter what happens. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And be gentle with everyone. When you're talking to your friends at work, be gentle with them. Do you expect anything less from the world? I mean, honestly. They have hearts that are anti-God. Do you expect anything less? Absolutely not. So be gentle. Be meek with everyone. Pray and ask God for what you desire. But be thankful in everything because God is always working. And then notice, this is the last scripture I'll lead to you in verse 7. Philippians 4 verse 7. And the peace of God in other words, if you do these things, this is the result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the Word of God to you today. You take it and do with it whatever you want. You can be mad at it if you want to. <laughs> you can walk out of here and choose not to receive it. I pray that you won't. But I want you to know this, don't be anxious about anything, but instead trust the Lord. Follow His pattern and the peace of God which surpasses all of your understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If y'all would this morning stand, I'm going to uh, let Nick just stand here with you. Um, again, I'm just going to stay away from you if that's okay, but... Um, if there's something that God spoke to you this morning, this is not my word. Please don't let who I am or the way I presented it, because I was not perfect in the way I presented it, I promise. Um, and I meant no offense in, in any way, anything that I said. So please don't let me stop whatever God was speaking to your heart. Don't, don't let it stop Him from working in your life. Listen to His word, trust His word. Follow His Word. And whatever He has done in your life, I pray this morning that you would allow Him to change you before you leave.